begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it. He didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus Christ, his Son, might be saved. The message that we have as believers in Jesus is a message of hope and restoration. It's not a message of condemnation and punishment. It's a message of hope and love and restoration. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. Romans 2, verse 4. Or is that a 9? Can't see it. Romans 2, 4. Think about where you were before you came to Jesus Christ and bowed your knee and said, Jesus, I need you to come into my life. It was the goodness of God. And the goodness of God is his beauty and his goodness. And it leads us to change the way we think about God. Changing the way we think about God is repentance. Two weeks ago, Steve Hogan spoke on childlike faith, growing in our childlike faith. To have faith in an awesome God, to really believe that he's good. And one of my favorite takeaways, one of the favorite lines that impacted me from Steve's message, the whole thing was really good. But he said, you have to feast on God's goodness. Feast on God's goodness. And since he said that, I've been taking time. You know, you have to take time to practice the word of God in your life. And I was, I've been practicing feasting on his goodness. So I know what picture comes to your mind, but it's nothing like a good old American feast of access and overabundance food and Alka-Seltzer commercials and Thanksgiving Day and everybody's eating and there's more food than you can imagine. I don't know how in our Italian family, five hours later, we all sat down to eat again. I don't, know how they, I don't know how we did that. It was a tradition, I guess. But the idea of feasting, abundance, there's more than enough, plentiful. Feasting on God's goodness. Last week, Grace Cummings spoke on God's nature that God himself is our exceedingly great reward. I hope you meditated on that this week. God himself is our exceedingly great reward. Our mission is to know God and to make him known, to know God and to properly represent him on the earth. He is the Lord, my God. He is the Lord, our God. And he saves and he heals and he delivers and he protects, and he loves, and he provides, and he honors. Because that is who he is. That's what he does. That's who he is. And as I was preparing for this week, I realized the onslaught of just going through a Hurricane Sandy or any other natural disaster, but it's not just natural disasters. I was very aware of the vicious attack or assault that's literally targeted against Jehovah God, Yahweh God, the Lord our God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The attack is directly aimed at him, you know. 
to discredit him, to dishonor him, to make him who he really is not. And it comes through every form of media, every ugly accusation. I was um, watching a movie and in an airplane crash, you know, they can call it an act of God. Well, an airplane crash isn't the act of the God that I love and serve and know. So it's a horrible description of any disaster. An act of God in a, in a storm that somebody would say these God, Jehovah God, brought that storm to kill people. If that's how you believe, I'm telling you right now, you're believing in error. You are an error of God. And I'm going to do a good job today of showing you his excellencies and his faithfulness and his goodness. Because our job is to show forth and declare with shouts and with praise his valor and his excellence and his virtue and his praises because he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light and he is good. I had a wild experience. I was sharing this with my daughter this week. And I almost couldn't contain it, but I knew the Lord wanted me to share it because I got to work it out. So I'm going to call it a vision or a dream. All I know is this, I was taken into heaven. And I was taken into heaven and I was, at, I was definitely flooded with God's presence. All I know is that I did not see God, but I was overwhelmed by his goodness and his presence. And in his presence, I was weeping and wailing like never, ever, ever I've ever experienced in my life, my natural life. I was in a fetal position, and I was, I was filled with sorrow. And I said, Lord, what is this sorrow that I'm experiencing? And maybe you've had a similar experience. It could be the Lord touching you. But he, he definitely spoke to my heart and my spirit at that moment. And he said, I have been so poorly represented on the earth. And I want you to represent me properly. So it was this idea that from that moment on, I would always properly represent him. And I would study the word to show myself approved because his word clearly shows who he is. And if you're ever confused about who God the Father is or who the Holy Spirit is, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus is really the most simple one that we all identify with. And in Hebrews 1, it says that Jesus Christ himself is the exact representation, the perfect exact representation of God the Father. If you like words, it's a, it's like somebody would take uh, a, something and carve it or, or like imprint it like a, like a $100 metal plate. It was engraved perfectly. There would not be a flaw on it. It was exact. It was an exact copy of it. There was not, you understand that? It was perfect. So Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. And all we have to do is look at Jesus and what's really sad is when you get the bombardment of media and you get all this bombardment against the attack of God, it's really hard when believers who believe in Jesus are those who are confused about the very nature of Jesus. So what do you believe about Jesus and what do you believe about God? Because what you believe about God affects how you think and how you think affects how you live. You could turn them around. You could say, well, the way I think or the way I believe affects. Another way I like saying it was what you believe to be, what you believe about God to be true. 
affects the way you think and live. So what do you believe about God? This week in Christian homes, I had somebody say to me that, um, that Hurricane Sandy was a good attack by God punishing New York State for the gay marriage situation. And see, I want to tell you, this is very real stuff that you will, we will deal with. And all I said was that God is good and God would never do that. And then it's really funny because then that person thinks I'm wimping out on the nature of God because God is a judge and he's angry and he's righteous. And I said, well, then you forget that God sent his son and it's been dealt with at the cross. And Jesus took everything upon himself, all the punishment that we actually did deserve. Jesus stepped in and took it. So now now he's not angry no more. In Jesus Christ, the new covenant, there is no more of this intense anger so what do you believe to be about what do you believe to be true about God and how do you see the Father? Because how you see the Father will definitely affect your life. There's an amazing story in Gospel of John chapter 7. And if just for time's sake to be honest with you, I can't read the whole story, but sometimes you know how you read the Bible and you read something you've never it never illuminated, it never came to life like it did this week in chapter 7 of the Gospel of John, but it's an amazing story. Jesus just gets done healing on the Sabbath, and he says, and the scripture says, every translation, I like the New King James, but I like going to the King James. It says, his brothers said to him, why don't you come to Galilee or, or, or Judah? And he said, it's not my time, I'm not going. You go, and it was the Feast of the Tabernacles. I don't want to get into the whole story, but I want you to see something that fascinated me. Jesus said the time had not yet come for him to go, and they were saying, well, do what you do in public, because if you want to be known, you've got to do it in public. It was part of their advertising campaign. You know, you, you don't do it in secret, do it in public, and then we'll get you known, and we'll, you know, we'll start writing books and selling CDs, and we'll get you famous. And he said, no, I can't do that. You guys can go do that and read it. It's really fascinating. But then here's what he does. He goes anyway. And he says he went in secret. Now, the truth is, you know, how does Jesus go in secret? Well, we know on the road to Damascus that he concealed himself. He was talking to two people, and they didn't know it was Jesus. So the cool thing about Jesus, he can do whatever he wants to do. Obviously, he concealed himself. He went in secret. And when he was there with the people... He was among the people. And think about that. He was kind of, what's, what's the word on the street? What's happening? What's the buzz around town? What's, the, what's happening at the water cooler today? What, what are they saying? And John 7 verse 12 says, and there was much complaining among the people concerning him. I think the same thing's happening today. And there was much complaining among the people concerning him, concerning Jesus. Some said, he is good. Some said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. (laughs) Same arguments happening today. He's good, he's a deceiver. He's good, he's a good man, he's good, he's doing good things, or no, he deceives the people. And verse 43 of chapter 7, Gospel of John, it says, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. That's when I saw the tug of war in in the spirit. Just as a sign, just as something you can take away, that there is a war that's battling, a war that's raging. The battlefield is your mind and how you believe and what you think about Jesus Christ. 
So we're just going to go over some fun stuff about how good God is. Because, you know, the Bible says that, that God can never lie. He's not a man that he should lie. So if God can't lie, and we believe his word to be true, then everything I read in the Bible is true about God. 1 John 1.5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light, not dark. Seems pretty foundational, right? Well, when you think about God and you begin to describe God and his behavior and his attributes and his nature, make sure that there's no darkness in your conversation. Because God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadows of turning. When we use that fun expression, Jehovah sneaky, he's doing good things. He's not punishing me on the side or holding that against me or, you know, got a few cards up his sleeve that I don't know about because there's some variation in his nature and his heart or shadows in his character. He's the father of lights, and every good and perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the father of lights. He's the father of lights. Amen. It is impossible for God to lie. Hebrews 6.18. It's impossible for God to lie. I love that. God, you are not a liar. You are true. I'm expecting great things from God in my life. Are you expecting great things from God in your life? Are you expecting great things from God? How you feel about God and what you think about God has a direct correlation on what you're anticipating from God. I'm going to hold that thought for a minute. I'll go back to that. Jeremiah 29, 11. This is just part of the way that God thinks about us and how much he loves us and how he's for us. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Is that a good God or a bad God who would do that? See, so it's like, isn't it interesting that Steve's message about growing in childlike faith was, do I believe Jeremiah 29, 11? Father, do I really believe when I was feasting on your goodness that the thoughts you have for me are good thoughts? Thoughts of peace and not of evil. God's thoughts for us are good. They're not of evil. It says it in his word. It's the only reason why I believe it. Because I love the word of God. Because God could have said, you know, there are times when I think evil of you. And it's when you, when you spit in the sink brushing your teeth. You know, it's, it's like when you do that, he would have laid it out. He's so good. He, he, would, he, would, he would help us. When you do this, I think evil of you. He says, my thoughts toward you are good. I think toward you. They're thoughts of peace. They're thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So I'm expecting good things from God because it says I can anticipate good things coming from God. Ooh, oh yeah, don't, I, I, will, I know what you're thinking. You know, it's these great book titles. Why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? 
So we'll get there. But remember, don't, don't let me leave today without addressing the old title of the book. Because that is a fiery dart of suspicion that brings an accusation against God because if he has a plan for me and hope in the future, then what happened here? What happened here? I, was, I, was, I, I faced failure. My business failed. I had disappointment. I lost one of my kids to cancer. We'll, we'll deal with that. But I'm telling you, God's thoughts towards you are good because his word says so. This was one of the most simplest but most powerful to me that I had just been feasting, Steve, on his goodness and reading, but they became alive to me in a different kind of way because I became a child again as I read the word of God. John 10.10. I've read John 10.10 thousands of times. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Stay with me. Because John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So like a child feasting at his goodness, if something bad happened to me or I thought I was going through a circumstance that didn't seem like it was very good, first thing, identify it that there is battles on the earth. When things are evil or from darkness or the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, that means you've got to do warfare. The kingdom is full of warfare and battles. So number one, the kingdom has battles. But the thief comes to not give life. You got that? What does the thief come to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. It's not Jesus, the good shepherd, who comes into your life to rob, to steal, to destroy anything in your life. He came to give life that you would have it abundantly. He's a good shepherd. So I just feasted on the word good there means he's a beautiful shepherd. What a good shepherd you are. You're so good that you gave your life for your sheep. You're a good shepherd. You are so good, Jesus. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Verse 11 says, or what man is among you? Or what man is there among you whom if you ask his son, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, give good things, good things, things that make you well, things that benefit you. The word good there is benefit you, care for you, make you well, good things to those who ask him. I love this because remember what I said before that if he wants, he's reminding us in this passage that if you then being evil, he was speaking to the crowd, know how to get good gifts, how much more? So is your father in heaven good? Will he give you good things if you ask? I did this little experiment with my daughter and I said, Fel- so sorry, Felicia, I wasn't going to bring your name up. 
My beautiful daughter, Felicia, who's living in, I love her. So I said, Felicia, are you persuaded, 100% convinced, and don't just say it because I'm here. I really wanted her to think about it. But I said, let's have fun with this. Are you persuaded, 100% convinced, are you absolutely a positive to know that there's nothing I would do to harm you? There's nothing I would do to ever hurt you, to bring harm to you. Because I love you. I would lay my life down for you. And she said, I know that's to be true. And I said, well, how do you know it to be true? And she said the word evidence. There is evidence of it. You have demonstrated it in your life. God has demonstrated his great love for us. That while we were yet sinners, he died for us. God has demonstrated his love for us that Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were dead and he made us alive again. We are trophies of his riches, of, of his goodness. Ephesians 4 says that we will be on display someday as trophies of the ages to come forever and ever that demonstrate his kindness and his goodness. His kindness, it's unbelievable because, but, but every day when you ask him for a fish, will he give you a serpent? If you ask him for bread, will he give you a stone? How is your view of God the Father? Because the truth is, if you're really being honest, there's times where you ask for a stone and you're not quite sure what you're getting. I'm sorry, you ask for a, a bread. You asked for bread, and you're kind of like, hmm. If that's you today, God wants to set you free. He wants you to have a proper view of the Father. Because when you ask, when you are feasting in his goodness, and you ask Father God for bread, he will never give you a stone. Because how much more will your Father who is in heaven give, give good things to those who ask him? He is over the top. How do I know this to be true? Because Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us. That exceedingly abundantly above is the same word that's used that Jesus came to give a more abundant life to us. It really is over the top. That's what it means. It's superior, it's beyond measure, it's full of access, it's more. It's the same word that's in John 10, 10. Jesus came to give life, and then he says, he adds to it, and I've come to give life more abundantly. We should be walking around saying, are we living the John 10, 10 life? 10, 10, abundant life in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Don't forget, we're going to talk about that crazy book title, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, okay? But before we do that, we're still going to feast. Feast. 
God's goodness and his kindness, his plans for hope and a future, God is good. I have this little thing here. I said every now and then, I just want to stop right now. This is what I do to myself. I put down, I just want to stop right now and feast and declare that God is good. Right now. So even right now, for all, right now, just say, God, you are so good. 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 Break the heavens. Change the atmosphere right now. God, you are so good. In you, there is no darkness. Jesus, you're the perfect representation of the Father. God, your love endures forever. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Before we move on, this would be a good time to do this. You know, words are great. Is a Hebrew word. Is, it's, it's written T-O-B-E. I don't know if it's to be or to be. I'm just going to say to be. <laughs> to be or not to be is the question. That's it right there. It's, that's how it spells. It's a Hebrew word, but it's the word every time I read that the Lord is good. You know, God loves words because I mean, it's amazing. But here's what we're saying. The Lord is beautiful. The Lord is the best The Lord is cheerful, he's joyful, his goodness overwhelms me, his kindness, he's so gracious, he's so sweet, he's so loving, he's so pleasant, Jehovah is good. See, it's funny, because we just go, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Imagine if we had to do that every time. The Lord is beautiful. He's the best. He's cheerful, he's joyful. His goodness overwhelms me. His kindness, he's full of graciousness. He's so sweet. Think of all the scriptures that talk about how he tastes and he's sweet like honey. And he's so loving, he's so pleasant. Jehovah is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Psalm 135, 3. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is pleasant. Psalm 145, 9. The Lord is good to all. The righteous and the unrighteous, he's made a way. He's good to all his, everything he's ever created. Because don't forget, there was a time where you were not born again. You were not regenerated. You were, not, you were in the domain of darkness, and he transferred you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son. The Lord was good to Ralphie Boy when I was 18 years old, riding a Harley Davidson and swearing and doing drugs. He was good to me. He's so beautiful to me. And I didn't give him no, I didn't give him no honor or glory, but he was still good to me. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies, tender mercies are over all his works. Man, he gives us the garment of praise for heaviness, gladness for ashes, Lamentations 3, 20, 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. The Lord is good. Nehemiah 9.17. We're just going to feast here a little bit. We're getting, now now we're overeating. We're now overeating. (laughs) You might be full, but just take take it in. Nehemiah 9.17. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, 
abundant in kindness. In the scriptures, we see God's love and his new, true nature revealed all the time. The Lord is merciful, he's kind, he's full of compassion. Does that sound like some kind of monster to you? Ephesians 2, 7, I said it already, but that in the ages to come, he might show the, ex- he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. We talked about this, but Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father, the exact copy, the exact engraving imprint of Jesus went about healing all who had diseases, casting out demons, raising the dead, preaching that the kingdom has come. The message that we carry is a glorious message of God's love and his restoration power. He's good. Don't get mixed up on your message. I want to talk about something because I want you to know that I spent a lot of time this week studying it. And I want to be sensitive. I'm going to have Mary come up and play in a minute. There's an idea here about waiting upon the Lord. And we love the scripture in Isaiah 40, verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord, who patiently look to the Lord, waiting, expecting, relying upon him, trusting God, feasting on his goodness, putting our complete trust in God, our hope in God, expecting good things from God like a child would expect from their daddy. And immediately, and I knew it wasn't an arrow, it was a reality that the Lord said, I want you to talk about this misunderstanding about suffering. So I won't have a lot of time to talk about it, but if I was you, I'd sit there and say, well, my life experience is not matching up to God is always good. Is that an honest question? Honest uh, feedback? Well, here is where we make our mistake. And I'm just going to highlight a few, but my most favorite chapter that I have heard people quote is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So on your, you know, you be a, uh, you be a studier of God's word, but I'm gonna, uh, don't, don't take my word for it, but I'm going to tell you, I can take my word for it because I studied it myself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it's, to me, I'd call it one of the greatest chapters on conflict. Because in the chapter, you hear words like tribulation and suffering, being afflicted, Burdened, persecution. In every single scripture that I studied in the whole New Testament, I spent hours this week because I wanted to be able to stand up here and say this. Not once does Jesus give anybody cancer. Not once did Jesus cause a calamity to come down on your house because he was angry with you. Not once did Jesus never did he give you affliction as form of punishment or pain? Because here's what the word means. And every single one, you study it yourself. And you know, I, was gonna, I didn't want to go over the top today with the, uh, with the uh, little video clips or the music. 
But if you take it all, and I, and I studied this, and I'm going to get through other words, but I'm going to tell you the essence of, of all these words in 2 Corinthians and other places throughout Scripture, tribulation, trouble, suffering, affliction, persecution, burdens, under pressure. Life is filled with pressure. The truth is, there's a great, great uh, Queen song with David Bowie, Under Pressure. It's a great tune. <laughs> under pressure. When things are under pressure, that's when you know whether you got it or not. I watched the life of Tom Coughlin, a great football coach for the New York Giants. He would practice and put his team under pressure to see how they performed under pressure. And every time the pressure came, it produced in them enduring faith in Jesus Christ. Because the trouble came. Remember Matthew 6. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. You're going to have enough trouble for tomorrow. Don't worry about it because it'll be there when you wake up. He didn't promise us a life of no trouble. He promised us that he would never leave us nor forsake us because in John 16, it says, Jesus said to us, these things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16, verse 33. I'm realizing I wrote this with the King James these things I have spoken unto you, that in me, that in me you would have peace. Where is our peace found? In Jesus Christ. In the world, he's saying, you will have tribulation. That word there is you will be under pressure. The world is full of pressure. Responsibility, commitments, tribulation. In that word, pressure, burden, trouble. Never sickness and disease and affliction caused to you by God. Never, not one time. Affliction. The word affliction. We think, you know, somebody, I got this big rash on my butt or something. I got a disease on my leg. Affliction means undergo hardship. Undergo hardship. Trouble. Suffer persecution. Pressure. Anguish. Tribulation. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 9, he said that for his name's sake, you will be afflicted. For his name's sake, you will be afflicted. How many here who believe in Jesus Christ had somebody in their past mock them or a relationship that they would no longer have with you simply because you became a believer in Jesus Christ? Okay? You suffered persecution. You were under pressure. You didn't buckle. You didn't compromise. Jesus said that for my name's sake, you will be afflicted. That's exactly what he meant. You'll be under pressure. You'll come under affliction. You'll be burdened. You'll carry weight. You'll be under pressure. He actually said in Matthew 24, 9 also, that they will deliver you up. You remember this part? They will betray you, put you in prison, kill you, destroy you. You shall be hated. Why? For his namesake. 
So be clear that where the tribulation, where the pressure, where the trouble, the anguish, and the affliction came was because you chose to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. And how many martyrs have been murdered, beaten, betrayed, put in prison, killed, and even yourself you can identify. You might say, well, nobody has killed me yet, but I've been betrayed. I've been hated. I've been hated because I was a Christian. I I worked 17 years in a place where they hated me because I was singing about Jesus in my truck every single day. Jesus is good news. And they hated me. Some of them hated me. Not all of them, but there was a great level of hatred or persecution or affliction that I had to go through. But that was all part of the deal. Sickness and cancer and God gave me this and God gave me that. No, that's not what it was. Paul said, because I preach Jesus in the cross, I suffer persecution. You know, all the godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Dig into that word a little bit. You know that scripture? It's a beautiful scripture. For some reason, I didn't write it down. That all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Follow after, press toward, give yourself to. Pressing into Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. Be on a college campus today and just simply say you believe in Jesus Christ and you're going to get clobbered. Be in some work environments that you guys are in and just by saying I believe in Jesus Christ because the truth is, and rightfully so at times, God and Christians have been poorly represented on the earth. So you could say we got it coming because all they think about us is we're the fanatic judgment people who hate people. We hate people. We judge. We're intolerant. We don't demonstrate love. We always are punishing and judging everybody. Has nothing really to do with it because when it gets right down to it, I had a dear friend one time and she said, well, get right down and dirty with me. What do you think about this? And I told her and she was offended. Jesus Christ will offend you because he's so radical. I'm going to close. Mary, can you come up and play for me? I bought a book at a book. Uh, a Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Library has this great sale where you go buy all these books for real cheap. It might be, sound like a funny way to end this, but the book title is um, Shut Up, blank. Shut up, stop whining, and get a life. That's the title of the book. I had to have it. (laughs) Shut up, stop whining, and get a life. Pretty great book title. Now, you know how when you grab a book, it's a risk, but it was a 50-cent risk. The guy's got a lot of stuff in there. Everything that's good, guess where it comes from? The Bible. He's taking the Bible, turning it into into positive ways of living life, 
He probably sold a million in books. I think he's this radical guy. And I don't know. I never saw him before. I just saw the title and said, shut up, stop whining, and get a life. I said, that's a pretty good book title. Every pastor should read it. But then I went to the part where he starts talking about God. And I stopped reading the book. Now, that was my personal choice, but why did I stop reading the book? Because it made me sick. I'm not judging the guy. What made me sick was the complete idea that every religion in the world and every book that's been ever written about God all have some part in the big picture of the universe. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, as hard as they try, they just don't get this intense, radical fact. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. That's why you will experience affliction, persecution, pressure, and all that junk is because you believe that to be true. How we conduct ourselves in the world and how we communicate the hope that's within us and how we communicate this message of God is love and he's dealt with all that stuff and he's really longing to have a relationship with you and he's restoring that which was lost and stolen. We have a responsibility to properly represent God. So, Father, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, could do now, as we have feasted on your goodness, we declare, I thank you, God, that we can make de declarations. And we can say one of the most powerful things we will ever declare as an individual, as a family, as a body of believers, that God, you are good and that your mercy endures forever. Your steadfast love and your mercy is never ending. God, you are good. You are good, you are good, you are good. You are beautiful beyond description. You are a great God and you are beautiful. We thank you for your goodness. And Father, I pray for us as we go out into the highways and byways and we go out into the world that we would show forth and proclaim your praises and how excellent and how wonderful and beautiful you are. And Father, I pray for all of us that we would take time to meditate and feast on your goodness, but to examine how we represent you out there and everywhere that we go. Father, you are good. You are love. You are faithful. You love people. You love them where they're at. Thank you that you demonstrated there's evidence of your love, of your kindness. God, let us be those people who show forth your goodness on this earth. we just love you. And Holy Spirit, I pray for furthering revelation of how people see Papa, how they see God the Father, 
and this morning I'm going to specifically ask the prayer teams to come up and if you know that the Holy Spirit is talking to you and you have a bad image of God the Father get some personal prayer this morning get a touch from the Holy Spirit so Father we release your saints we thank you for your goodness we thank you God that you want to speak to people even right now You want to speak to people. We thank you for grace and the prophetic team. Father, you're going to release your thoughts toward us even right now. So don't leave today. Believe God. Believe God and expect good things from God because he's a good daddy. And Father, we release the prophetic teams to come over. We release the prayer teams. Have a great day in the Lord. Have a good week. Enjoy your children. I know the children will be ready to go. It's afternoon. Enjoy the cafe and just be blessed and release a blessing over you. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. God is good. His love endures forever. God, you're so good. Your mercies never end.